Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see y'all. Well, if you want to stand, we'll pray and pray in song. Thank you, Father, for this day, for this this building to gather in. I just thank you for everybody here. Um, Pray that today as we praise you, as we hear your word, uh, that we grow closer to you. Pray for all the children. The youth, young adults, everything going up in that wing, and just play you. Uh, bless Matt and the volunteers, everybody helping facilitate growth in their young lives. And I just pray for Leonard today as he preaches. Give us all ears to hear, God. Um, we uh, praise you for the wonderful time we had yesterday. Thank you for the event team and all the volunteers that put that on. It was just a wonderful night to be together. Um, so we thank you for that. And Look forward to more things like that to do, to get together and just have fun together and uh, just be the church, God. So we give you this time. Uh, We love you and we're here for you. Amen.
Good morning. Well, before you all have a seat, uh, put, put your hands up in the air, and, and let's uh, all clap to Jesus because of what he's done, because of the great celebration yesterday. <laughs> you know, we, we uh, you know, as y'all been praying for Coleman and stuff, we, we've got things to praise, and um, definitely we've got a struggle um, coming, but he, he's good, and we appreciate all the prayers. Um, but further ado, um, I got announcements today, but I just want to say thank you guys for everything. Um, the celebration yesterday was fantastic. Thank you, Rachel, and all the event committee that put that on. There, there was no injuries on the hayride, so thank, thank God for that. Uh, um, but tonight, from 6.30 to 8, um, we are having um, youth group from 6 to 12. Um, so if you know anybody in that age group, make sure that you, you guys can have a seat, by the way. Um, yeah, uh, make sure you uh, tell them, let them know. Um, if anybody needs a ride, give me a call. We'll, we'll make sure it happens. Um, Wednesday, October 6th is Joy Club at 12 o'clock in Fellowship Hall. Lunch will be provided, and our guest speaker will be um, JT Panzot. So if you plan, make sure you sign up with a sheet in the back of the foyer there. Devotional yoga starts October 7th, this Thursday at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. No experience needed. If you just want to have some fun, do some exercising, come on out. Fellowship Hall downstairs. Um, October 17th, a Sunday from 4 to 7, the student and, student and kids ministries invite you all to the corn maze out at Rolling Acres. Cost is $10 per person. It includes a zip line. So make sure you come and have some fun. Corn pits, uh, miniature golf, corn maze. So have some fun getting lost in a maze. Um, also, October 24th is the Trail of Treats that the Parks is putting on. Um, we are participating in that as well this year. So we are asking for some candy donations. So we have a, enough to give out. Last year, I think we saw at least two, 300 cars. So that was probably about 600 kids or so. So. Um, that's all I have. Kids are dismissed. Hey, thanks, Matt. Um, glad you guys are keeping uh, Coleman lifted up in your prayers and, uh, and uh, his family as they go through this struggle together with trying to overcome his epilepsy. So please keep him lifted up. Um, so I can welcome everybody today and hope everybody's doing great. I, I had FOMO yesterday because uh, I, I wasn't able to make it to the gathering. My, my wife's best friend uh, had her wedding, and uh, I told her, because I've never missed a fall gathering uh, in the time, 15 years I've been here, and so I, I did approach her, and I said, Courtney, I know, Tim, I know that's your big day, but is there any chance you can move your, your wedding? And she said, absolutely not. If it was just a normal wedding, maybe but this was a Greek wedding. Has anybody ever seen my big fat Greek wedding? It was that with the Windex, but no spitting on the bride. I was kind of disappointed. And you, it's an inside joke. So you're like, what? Uh, you just have to watch it to see it. And I actually sat kind of like where Jason's sitting, right next, because I thought, well, I got some gum. I got my saliva. We get to spit on the bride. I'll do that just to be culturally relevant. They didn't do it. I was disappointed. Now you think, that's just gross. And I agree, it is gross, but it is their custom. It's the way they do it. 
um, but they didn't do it, and uh, so missed out on that as well. So I missed out all the way around, but it was a good day for uh, Mandy's friend, Courtney, and I, I hear it was an awesome day for you guys here. So thank you, Rachel, and your team for what you guys did to make that, um, that, that event a time where we could be cohesive again. Uh, it's so good just to get back together and be a church again. Uh, so many of the events that we're doing are designed to try to recapture that. Uh, so with that said, um, praise for what, uh, what's been going on. And um, also want to keep a uh, few things lifted up. Uh, I got a, got a text this morning uh, regarding um, our neighbor over here, Peter Knoll. Uh, he had a heart attack and was life flighted to Oldman Hospital. Uh, he's going to be having bypass surgery later on in the week. So please keep Peter lifted up in your prayers. And um, let's see. Oh, uh, on, on another note, um, no, I'll mention this as well. Uh, my friend uh, Larry Schaefer is going to have a partial knee replacement on Thursday, so please be praying for Larry. And uh, then I was going to mention a um, couple of people in the room I discovered this morning with my uh, reconnaissance team are having birthdays. Now, you can self-identify if you like, or I can just point it out. So where is Twyla France when you need her? Right over there. And also my friend Dennis. Dennis, where are you? Oh, okay. It's kind of dark back there. It's kind of hard for me to see. I think my eyes are, you know, I'm getting older too. I know you're 39 and holding, but I'm not holding so well. So... I guess I'll ask anybody else in the room having a birthday today. G on the 20th, just a friendly FYI, the 20th of October coming up. September, so we're doing a retroactive birthday. I'm not sure about that, but I'll go along with it. All right. Um, I'm going to do the unthinkable. You know, I, I, the, the, the wedding I was at yesterday, the priest sang, chanted all the verses that he read. He read a lot. Every one of them he sang. And I'm like, I am so glad I'm not in that particular tradition because I would probably not be here. However, I know you guys have strong voices. So we're going to sing happy birthday to... Um, you guys, how's that? That catch all. Um, so as I as I lead, please help me <laughs> to help them celebrate. <laughs> okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, you guys. Happy birthday to you. All right. Congratulations. Happy birthday, guys. Okay. Um, any prayer concerns you guys have that we need to keep before the Lord as a, as a group? Because I think prayer makes all the difference. Um, I know uh, the Lulis are in quarantine as well because um, I think uh, Maggie was tested positive for COVID. So please just keep... Uh, um, that family lifted up in your prayers. Anybody else have anything? 
All right, now we've got, okay, Rachel? I have a few stats that are out with COVID. Okay. Okay. Understandable. Great or no? Um. Yeah, so please uh, keep uh, Rich and Sarah and Jonathan lifted up as they re-engage uh, with the work uh, in Tanzania. So, yeah, thanks, Debbie. That's a huge relief for you guys. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Let's go ahead and pray, shall we? Father, we are so grateful that we can gather in this room and bring um, our souls before your throne. As we do that, we thank you that we are covered in the blood of Jesus and we are called to be uh, not only citizens of your kingdom, but members of your family. And we're grateful, Lord, for the good work that you're doing in each of our lives. Uh, you are bringing your purposes to completion as we go through time and as we live through experiences. And as we trust you along the way, and in the times that we doubt and we waver and we disobey, we pray, Father, for your forgiveness, that we could be strong in you and established in your word, that we could be a people that are by design priests to the world that is lost and languishing, that you could give us a sense of awareness of what you're doing, not only in our lives, but the lives of the people around us, and then lead us into uh, ways of serving other people that will perhaps um, lead others to you, but certainly fulfill uh, a purpose that um, by design you want to accomplish through each of us. So we come in a spirit of surrender, trusting you not only as our Savior, but also our Lord. And in so many ways, you provide for us along the way, and we thank you for the blessings of each day. We're grateful, Lord, for the body of Christ, even though we are not perfect by any stretch, and we need your grace and your mercy every day, but yet you have given us one another as a means of being strengthened in our lives, in our relationships, in our connection with you. And we just want to expand on that because we know that is your goodwill. And we pray that as a church that we could take all of the things that we're doing and we could find within them um, the outworking of your purposes that uh, when you call us to have a gathering, we know the follow-up is how can we connect deeper. And when we go through a struggle, we know the follow-up is help me to trust you even more as I've learned to do that through this experience. And at every turn, Father, you are teaching us. 
and you're helping us. We're just faithful. And so I just pray, Father, for those that need you the most right now. I pray for Peter Knoll that you would protect his health and that you would lead him to a, a full and complete healing. You bless the surgery that will be happening this week for bypass. And just help he and Audrey through this time. I pray, Father, that you would be with Larry, that you would help him with uh, his knee replacement on Thursday. And just give him the assurance that you're with him and that he is being lifted up by your people. I pray, Father, for um, your grace to be with the Lulai family. And I just pray for your protection to be upon them and upon the workers that Rachel mentioned who are out right now. And just the effect that it has on, on, the, uh, on the service that they're trying to provide uh, to the elderly through their, through their work. I, pr I thank you, Father, for being with Don and just helping him in this report. It is so refreshing to hear things that turn in a way that show your hand of mercy at work and healing. And I pray as well for Gail Hill. I just ask that you give her the strength for the journey as she goes through chemo and as it uh, takes its effect on the cancer, but also her body, that you would just encourage her and strengthen her in her spirit, spirit and give her healing. I pray that you would bless our church as we seek to do your will in the ways that you are unfolding as we've come through the pandemic season and now we are in a moment where we're asking the question, what is next? And we want, as we make plans, Father, we want to um, follow the path that you create. Uh, so with all of these things that we've mentioned, Lord, we pray uh, that your name would be magnified and glorified. And as we just take this first day of the week and we set it apart as a weekly rhythm so that we can maintain our identity in you, help us now to pray together the Lord's Prayer as you've intended. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I have to tell you, I'm very excited about the message today. I'm, I'm always excited about it because there's always something that we discover that's just good for our soul. But when you look at what we're, we're going to be uh, focusing on today, uh, you'll find it to be a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture, one that you've probably quoted almost on a regular basis, if not a weekly basis. And that is where Luke takes everything that has been happening in the life of Jesus and makes the focal point the prayer that the disciples asked him. Lord, teach us to pray. And when uh, Luke tells uh, the way that the disciples asked it, it's a little different from what we read about in Matthew 6, where the Lord's Prayer as we recite it is directly from that with a few additions uh, at the end. Um, but this prayer that we're going to explore um, is, is really kind of a variation of that, and I think that is part of the beauty of the whole thing, that it's like a tuning fork, that um, as long as what we pray is in tune with the spirit of the Lord's Prayer, then we are on track. 
Um, and the Lord's Prayer has been sang, sung, it's been chanted, it's been uh, spoken in multiple languages, uh, it's been sung. Matter of fact, my kids used to play a video game called Civilization. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. If you've got any young people in your mix, they've probably heard of it. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty cool game about basically, you know, what it says. And Civilization Four had a unique soundtrack. And I remember hearing my son listening to it, and there was this one song that was on this video game that I'm like, wow, that, that almost has a spiritual quality to it. And I couldn't quite figure out what they were saying because it was in Swahili. And I'm actually just going to, I'm just going to show you uh, a clip from that video game that was basically blown up into a Grammy-winning song. So uh, for our benefit, I, I just want to show this video. Chocolate, 
you guys appreciated that because whenever the story ends it says in the bible in the book of revelation it says in chapter 7 that when it's all said and done that every tribe every language every people group are going to be gathered around the throne of god expressing and declaring his praises and singing them boldly and loudly and i can't help but wonder if in that scene which is fast forwarding to the end of our story and the church's story perhaps one of, those, one of those songs that we're going to be singing together around the Lord's throne is that one. Now, Baba Yetu, I don't know if you figured it out or not, means Lord's Prayer in Swahili. And that, of course, is about the only Swahili that I know. But if you live in Africa, it's a trade language, so everybody knows Swahili. Whether they don't know uh, another person's language, they know Swahili. And we are sending missionaries to places like Tanzania who um, are trying to translate the Bible into the language of a people that have never had the Bible before, and some of them don't even have a written language. So they've got to give them an alphabet, teach them a vocabulary, and then teach them the Bible, all with the goal in mind that hopefully at the end, when Christ is made Lord of groups of people, we're going to be able to sing together. Because I honestly think the Lord isn't going to come back until everybody's had a chance to hear. And that's why it's so important for us to support the missionary impulse of the church. Now, when we get into the Lord's Prayer and we think about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is happening in heaven, that's a big part of what that's about. Well, that's kind of the setup today. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's look at Luke chapter 11. And let's explore uh, some verses here uh, that um, I think are a critical moment in Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Because they've been paying attention, the disciples have, to Jesus. And they've been wondering what it is about his prayer life, because they saw him pray at very key moments. Uh, Luke describes prayer at his baptism, prayer at, uh, in the wilderness, prayer at, um, at, at critical moments like the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, you just see that before anything happens, Jesus is praying, establishing that moment with a connection to the Father so that everything about those moments will have his imprint on them. And now the disciples are saying, Lord, we see what you're doing. We would like some of that. Teach us to pray. 
And so that's where we pick it up at in Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. We're just going to read through it real quickly. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give each of us our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking, well, that's a little different than the way we've memorized it. I got to think that that's actually by design. Because the Lord's Prayer, if we just say it wrote without really thinking about what we're doing, then it just becomes check in a box. And it has to be a prayer that is real and intentional. And I don't know why exactly there's a variation between the two in the Gospels, except perhaps for one reason, and that is the prayer is not designed, and this was the way Jewish prayers were, and they were taught. They said, don't pray the prayer just exactly like the prayer is every time, or you'll start to forget what that prayer is all about because it just becomes automatic. And in the Jewish tradition, they taught uh, different prayers um, that were essential for beginning your day and ending your day, and they basically said this prayer needs to be bundled into your experience, not only individually, but as families and as a group of people. And that tradition actually came alive in this prayer for the church as we followed that model and we started praying it. And, you know, I was at a, at a, a gathering um, uh, yesterday, of course, in a Greek Orthodox church, and they said the Lord's Prayer, only they said... Um, uh, trespasses and those who trespass against us, but then the ending of the prayer, which is not in that we say, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, there was a huge expansion on that, you know, and it went on and on into the end of the ages. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool, but we might get lost along the way with all of the different ways he went into it. But nonetheless, it's still, if you were to do a tuning fork and you are to say, ding, you'd say, oh, that resonates, all oh, that resonates. And even that, not even knowing the Swahili, there was something about it when I first heard it. I'm like, that resonates. There's something deep about that. And that thing that resonates is, I think, the thing we've got to sort of explore a little bit today. Because the prayer is something that can be taken for granted if we don't hit the pause button every once in a while and say, now what's this prayer about? What is God trying to accomplish here? And as we read it, um, we see in Luke that there's some additional information told in three brief parables that Jesus describes how it is that you and I are supposed to approach the throne of God. And so here's what it says in verses 5 and following. And he said to them, uh, who among you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and uh, say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, don't bother me. The door is shut 
my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Basically, he's saying, if I get up, then everybody else is going to get up. Now, you know, when I get up in the middle of the night, my primary job is to try to keep the dog from getting up. Because I think that if I can go and take care of my business and go back to bed without him getting up, I'll go back to sleep. And it'll be all good. But invariably, I'll be just about ready to go back into our bedroom, and there he is. He's like, okay, I got to go too. So then he goes outside, and then he's barking at who knows what, and I'm like, I'm waking up, and this is not good. And this fellow in this parable is sensing that um, this is annoying, this is an inconvenience, and it's just going to create, I think, uh, a bad night's rest. But Jesus is saying, persist in this in a way that's bold because something more important is on the table. And then he goes on to say, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who seeks and, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What the father among you, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the father, the heavenly father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, if you read this and you're, kind of tripped up on those three stories, I'm just going to boil down their whole point. And that is, there was some misunderstanding, apprehension, fear, sort of like, God, I don't know if I can even approach you without going to the temple, sort of mindedness about everything. And Jesus is wanting to assure his followers that God is approachable, that he is there not only to listen as a father, because he uses that imagery, but he's also there to give you something to enable the purposes that are working out in your life. And in the end, the ultimate gift is the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit, which if you are a believer and you are committed and you have consented to surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the gift that God gives us as a way of rejuvenating our our lives and strengthening us and doing things in our lives that we've never done before. And this prayer helps us to kind of keep it all on the rails. And what I love about it is the very first statement, our Father. Now, if you were Greek and you prayed to a God, there is a whole bunch of gods that you prayed to, and you're just hoping against hope that you didn't offend them in your prayer, and they would... They would they would deign to calm down and answer your prayer. But it was kind of a hope against hope mentality. And Jesus is trying to dispel all of that by saying, God is approachable. But he also kind of qualifies it a little bit by saying, hallowed be thy name. Now, we say art and we say hallowed, and those words don't serve us as well anymore like they used to. But I think we can still capture that the word hallowed means something holy. That's the original word. 
there is something that requires respect. There's a sacredness about the name of God because his identity is wrapped up in what is getting ready to unfold. And as Jesus is teaching this prayer, he's trying to accomplish two things. That God is approachable without qualification, but he is also to be revered and respected. The best way I describe it, because as my kids have gotten older, it's hard sometimes for me to differentiate my role as their father and my desire to see them as adults as a friend. And I know sometimes they get a little confused as well. It's kind of a weird role, uh, but I, I love it because now they're all into adulthood and they're experiencing the challenges of life and they're wrestling with questions and they have aspirations. Just like I see when I'm talking to one of my friends. And it's a pretty special relationship. And sometimes I, 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 I'm wondering, am I just talking to a friend here like I'm talking to Christian on the phone? Or am I talking to my son? But I know that in their mind, there's always that sense. You're still our dad. And we respect you. At least I, I hope they do. I believe they do. And we're careful around you because you've earned that space in our lives. And I, I think that's what Jesus is trying to keep in mind, that tension that we can't just treat God like he is sort of like a vending machine. Lord, I want this. Give me that. Can I, can I take that? Can I have that? Me, 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 I, I, I. Well, when you're a little kid, I, I get it. But as you mature in the faith, you start to think about prayers that are less and less about what you want and more and more about what we want together and what God wants ultimately. And that really is the big question here. What does God ultimately want as we read the storyline of Scripture? Well, first of all, you know, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, you'll see that you have Matthew on the one side, Matthew 6 and Luke 11, by, side by side, and the comparison is pretty stark. Uh, so let's go ahead and put that slide up there if we can. Um, and I don't know if you can read it or not. If I were any farther away, I'd probably not be able to. But you get that there's some things missing, right? But the idea is, regardless of the fact that they're different, there's enough there that captures the same intention of the heart of God that it, it really doesn't matter if, if we focus on one thing over another at the, at the time being, like Luke did. Because the Lord's Prayer is, it's, it's, not only is it a beautiful prayer, and it has been sung in ways that just make, that just makes your spine tingle. But it is a prayer that is for everybody, and it is probably the most prayed prayer, I would venture to say, certainly in the history of the church, if not the history of humanity. And yet, the reason why it is so popular and so common is because the Spirit of God is at work in the lives of believers, constantly trying to recalibrate and realign our lives with God's purpose. 
You know, I discovered something about my Dodge Challenger whenever I bought it. One thing that I really wanted to do, and I'll just admit this in church, even though I don't really do it because I can't afford it, I really wanted to spin the tires. I just wanted to take it and spin the tires, you know, like, like hot rodders doing like I did back in the day. And so I took it out, and for the life of me, I couldn't make it spin the tires. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I bought this car thinking I could at least spin the tires, and I could be 18 for like 0.2 seconds. And then I'd have to be an adult again. And my wife would say, why are you doing that? Tires cost money. Do you want to do that? You want to ruin your car? I'm like, no, dear, I don't want to ruin my car. But I want to spin my tires just once. What I discovered was there's this computer that's calibrating at every turn an anti-spin attraction control thing that at every millisecond it's saying go here go here go here go here and it's constantly telling the car to stay um, in tune with the road to stay connected to the road then i discovered the traction control button <laughs> that my friends was fun However, I gave it a little bit too much gas. Instead of spinning this way, I spun around this way. Well, thankfully, it was at a certain church in their parking lot when nobody was around, not to be named and not to be repeated. And I thought, wouldn't that be great? Pastor's car smashes into uh, awning. Awning falls on pastor's car, pastor dies prematurely. There is something about staying out of tune with the Lord that can be very dangerous. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it isn't like, oh, that was great. We checked that box in worship today, and that was awesome. Now, clearly, that is one aspect of it for sure. But the more important aspect of it is, why are we praying this prayer in the first place? And as you look at the storyline of the Bible, you find that the Lord's Prayer is to be prayed daily, boldly, and collaboratively. When Jesus was uh, teaching us to pray, he said in uh, the second verse, when you pray, and that you is plural, which means when you all pray together. You catch that? When you all pray together, this is how you should pray. And then the teachings of the church have been historically, and then you include all of your petitions and requests and ways of adoring the Lord and ways of confessing your sin. But he says, when you all pray together, and so it's important for us, if we're going to be cohesive, to be praying this prayer together, but also to be praying it with the understanding that it means something that we have to take seriously. And as the Lord is uh, praying this, he wants to kind of put things in perspective by saying, you know, our Father who art in heaven, and the word in the Greek is actually the heavens. And if you look at this image here, this is kind of the way the world used to be thought about before science and stuff like that. This is a picture of their view of, of how things uh, played out. So let's put that picture up there if we can. Um, so there is like the heavens above, and then there's the waters above the firmament. 
There's the sky, uh, there's the earth, and then there's the waters under the earth, the great deep, and then there's heaven, and then above that is the God of heavens. And when they thought about how the world fit together, that's how they thought of it. That's how it's described in Scripture. Now, science has a little bit different view of things, but it's not too far off. But the point being is that God is over all of this, but somehow, for reasons that we can't fathom, understandably, we're skeptical because we've really messed things up on that space that is described as the earth beneath. And sometimes we just don't want God around because, well, you know, lightning bolts are going to fly. But God wanted to bring his son into the world to reintroduce himself in a way that kind of disarms us a little bit and actually kind of pulls us in his direction because we see grace and compassion, but we also see being very much dialed in and his traction control when it comes to the purposes of the Lord. But it's done in such a way that the disciples are saying, we're paying attention and we want to be able to do what you do because it, it, it's nothing like we've ever seen before. And as he's teaching them and as they're thinking about God, he's saying he is way up there, but he's come down here. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God revealed himself a little bit differently in the form of a burning bush to Moses. And this is after the Israelites have been in Egypt for 400 years. And God calls Moses out and he says, we're going to do something new. We're going to get this program going so that I can recover on earth what is going on in heaven, but yet lost down there. And I'm going to start with Abraham and I'm going to continue on with you, Moses. And so God shows up in a burning bush. And Moses said, who are you? And God begins to unfold his plan to deliver his people. And then God says, these people know about the, the, the Egyptian gods. They know basically every fearful element that they are just intimidated by them. So when they ask, which God is calling us to be a people for him, what's his identity? And we translate it in Exodus 3, 16, or 14 rather, as I am, tell them my identity is I am who I am. Or I am that I am. And how many of you thought of Popeye just now? Okay. We don't know. I mean, it's still not telling us a whole lot, is it? But if you translate it the right way, it means I will be who I will be. Meaning that pay attention to what you see me doing, and that will define enough who I am. And so what they see God doing is destroying Pharaoh's army, parting the Red Sea, taking a whole bunch of people through uh, that uh, dry land, and then establishing them on the Sinai Peninsula. When there's no food or water available, God works in a pretty powerful way to say, 
I will also give you the bread that you need so that you can be sustained in the desert. Everything you need, you need to recognize. There's nothing in the desert to resource you. You are totally dependent on me. And God provided. And as he provided, the goal was to learn to trust. But you know, a funny thing happened on the way to the promised land. He provided, and they grumbled. We don't like it. It's not good enough. This this isn't working. I'm scared. And God's like, I'm training you to trust despite all circumstances. I'm with you. That I will never leave you or forsake you. And as this thing unfolds, it becomes clear that these people are designed for a purpose, and that is to represent God to a lost world. And so he's leading them through this boot camp, hoping that their minds will come around to see his purposes in, the, in, in a fresh way. But unfortunately, a lot of people just couldn't get it. And they died in the desert. But some got it. And they went on to represent. But then a funny thing happened along the way to the story of um, the kings and so forth. It eventually, somebody found the traction control button, turned it off, and everybody was just having lots of fun. But they were they were wrecking everything in the process. And God says, you know what? I'm done. So in 586, 10 of the tribes went away. In 722, two more went into exile. And God's teaching this lesson that he wants his people to be dependent. He wants them to see him out of a respectful eye, but also to know that I am a friend, I can be trusted, and I can be counted on. But you got to keep those two things in mind. God has to be respected. But God also loves us more than you know. And eventually, um, this unfolds in such a way that, well, Ezekiel writes about it. And I want to put this passage of Scripture from Ezekiel 36 up here. It says, I will show the holiness of my great name. And this is after everybody's been kicked out of the promised land, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned, you have profaned among them. Meaning that when people are asking, if your God is behaving anything like you're behaving, forget about it. Not interact. The name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, that I am proved holy through you before their eyes. His whole goal was to take us and use our lives as a reflection of the character of God. When people see your character, they see his. When they see your love, they see his love. When they see your grace, they see his grace. When they see your forgiveness, they see his forgiveness. When they see your obedience, they see his fidelity to his own person. And so Jesus has this backstory in his mind when he says, 
holy is your name. Because he's hoping that the disciples and the church will get it right. And as it unfolds, he promises in this passage that I'm going to do something new and the Holy Spirit's going to help me out. So a little bit farther on, he writes in a couple of verses later, these words. He says, um, if we can look at Ezekiel 36, uh, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you, you from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Essentially saying, on your own power, on your own gasoline, it's never going to happen. You do not have it in you to be who you need to be. However, I'm going to give you a gift, my spirit. And he's going to enable you to go from being angry and jealous and fearful and hateful and rage-filled and caught up in sorcery and things that are just dehumanizing. And something's going to come out of you that's going to surprise you if you keep the traction control button on. And that is people are going to see love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think of the Van Halen song, Big Bad Willie Became Sweet William Now. He got married, and then all of a sudden everything changed. I kind of kid Brian about that a little bit, but... Um, we all know that story. There's something about the influence of our wives that have a civilizing effect, I'll admit it. But there's something even greater about the covenantal influence that God has with us that has more than a civilizing influence. It changes us from the inside out. So this is a prayer that we could just go on and on about. I'd probably spend a year talking about it. I'd love it. But I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully just whet your appetite enough so that when you pray it again, there are some things that you can think about. So here's some takeaways from the prayer. The first one is to say our Father is a respectful way of knowing him as our Father and our friend. And it is the cross of Jesus that bridged that gap between a rebellious humanity and a holy God. The second thing is praying for daily bread is a way of trusting God to provide for us, for all aspects of our lives. Especially focusing on doing his will and his kingdom work. The, the disciples are actually being recruited for the role of preparing the way with the good news. And their hearts and minds have to be aligned. And there's probably not always going to be food when they're doing what they're doing. God will provide. There'll be other things that they don't have resourced at hand. God provides. 
you know, I'd think of the stories of missionaries telling me, ran out of gas, and then all of a sudden the tank was filled with gas. I've heard that story once. I've heard it 10 times. And that's just an example of the fact that underneath the realm of sight and sound, God is still God doing his work for us, even through the pandemic. I haven't been, it, it shook me up because it shook you guys up. But it didn't really shake me up personally because I've had to go through this process for over 30 years of just learning to trust God no matter what. And be okay with the no matter what. And that's really what the prayer helps us to do. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. And then in the, in the prayers we prayed, I, I just wanted to add this part from the prayer that's in Matthew. Deliver us from evil is an appeal for God's protection while we live to fulfill his purpose. There's other aspects to that, but I think about that primarily. And I, I, it causes me to step back and say, God, help me to be in that space where I am under your protection. Because I have to tell you, when I drive the Dodge Challenger, I keep the traction control button on. Under conditions that are sketchy, if I turn it off and I wreck the car, do I say, God, why did you do this? You know what God's going to say? Um, why did you press the traction control button off? And I have no answer for that. And maybe God's saying, why did you not pray about what we're going into? And trust me, to protect you. So the next one is God's kingdom manifests itself in our lives and our influence of our family and our friends, coworkers, when we live out life in harmony with his will and his character. I mean, I love being around Christian people, but I don't like to be around Christian people when they're in a mode, and I've been there too, so I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody, where you are, well, where you're a little antagonistic, or whether you're spiteful, or whether you're not thinking kind thoughts. Does anybody want to be around Christians like that? I'm not saying that stuff doesn't flow through our heads, but I am saying that the Lord's Prayer helps us to get it back on the, on the road and the rails. And the goal is to take the kingdom of heaven, which is going on in that realm where God is seated on his throne, and begin to recapture it in the space that he has given us. One of the Psalms that I didn't quote um, mentions how God is seated in heaven and he's given the earth to humankind. Our responsibility has been to take care of the earth, to manage it, to be stewards over it, and, well, <laughs> it's a wonder God showed back up. Forgiveness, uh, fifthly, has the goal of reconciliation between ourselves, God, and everyone else. So forgive us of our debts, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our trespasses. That's a whole sermon in and of itself, but I just want to say this. I think if you ask God for forgiveness, he'll forgive you. But if you're not forgiving other people, he'll let you know. He will let you know. And he's basically going to say, you're being immature. And you need to step it up. Because my goal here is to reconcile people together. 
And I started with you, and you're, you're a lot of work. But I want the Holy Spirit to begin to change you into somebody new. Two more takeaways, and we are done. The Lord's Prayer reflects a strategy to recover everything that was lost in the original garden. And you read the end of the story where we're all singing around the throne. That moment says, it's about to all be recovered. I look forward to that day. There are people in this church that I've done funerals for. I look forward to having conversations with again. There are people that I knew in Africa that I look forward to being around that throne and singing praises with them. It excites me to think about that because this moment is not the only moment that ever is or ever was. It's just a moment and we have to trust him in it. So here's the bottom line. The Lord's Prayer is a bold prayer for change. So that what is happening in the realm of God's will begins to happen in your life and mine. It involves moving from a world in which the Father's name is not honored, his will is not done, and his rule is not established into a world in which these things are as they should be. And the only way that can happen is for us to say to the Lord, you're Lord and I'm not. I'm a sinner and my life does not make, is not made up of perfect choices along the way. But you are perfect. And I know that if you are in my life, my life can begin to reflect your presence. So the last thing that I, I, I want to mention is, this, is what happened yesterday. I've never been to a Greek Orthodox wedding, but did you know that they crown the bride and groom? They put a crown on their head. That, that's new to me. And um, then they change them back and forth three times to represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they put them back on. And then they're charged by this statement. You together, under the domain that God has given you as husband and wife, are now king and queen of your family. You're responsible for your children who come after you. And the quality of life that you bring together, which hopefully is centered in the Lord, will begin to reflect what that kingdom is like. You know, that, that dome, that's where kingdom comes from. It's like kingdom, that realm. And I love that charge. Because I, I was at another wedding prior to this one where the officiant just signed something online, became... Uh, an official representative of the state to do weddings. And in that wedding, not one time was the name of God or Jesus mentioned. The difference is night and day. One is a covenantal relationship. And the priest even went so far as to say, I'm not the one doing the marrying here. It is actually God. Because the covenant you're creating is with him, and that's the only way it's going to work. Two-hour wedding. Tell you what, if somebody decides to get a divorce after that wedding, I just want to be far away from them when the shots are fired because that was a pretty big ordeal. You'll never forget it. For the other one, I give it about a 60, 40, 
fail versus succeed chance because it's just him and her. One will work in and fighting with another. But with God, the only reason probably my wife hasn't killed me is she's probably said, okay, your will be done. The question for you guys is, are you willing to say that to him right now in whatever? And in this moment, he may be calling you into a relationship because that's his will. Will you respond by saying, Father, your will be done? Or he may be calling you to do something else. And is your response, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray. Lord, as we've come to this moment in our worship gathering, we thank you for this not only beautiful prayer, but prayer that is so life-defining. Help us as a church to be in tune with what you've intended it to mean. Help us to follow you through it every day. I pray, Father, that we do that not only as a person, but as a people together. Help us to become a people together church, and may this be one of those aspects of our lives together that holds us together. And I pray, Father, for those that you are drawing into that circle that by design is meant to bring people into the relationship. I just pray that whatever heart you are working on today would would be predisposed to say yes rather than no. This is my prayer, Lord, for our people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how many people realize they had a traction control button in their car? How many people are going to go out and look for it when you, when you get in your cars? <laughs> So there's a reason that they put traction control in their in our cars, uh, and a lot of times it's to keep us from going off course. Well, if we do happen to hit that traction control button, the pretty cool thing is that most of the time when we shut the car off, it resets, and traction control comes back on. Communion is the same way. It's our weekly time to hit that reset button or shut that car off and basically reset our minds and our hearts to maybe those times where we've shut that button off during the week and shut God out of our lives or many other many other things that the loss of traction control in your life can do so this is this is why we as Christians at our church here celebrate communion every week is to hit that reset, not because it's a ritual, just because that's what we need to do. We need to be reminded of that every week. And so at this time, that's reset your hearts and your minds to Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. And at this time, we're gonna ask the blessings upon 
these this elements, the cup and the loaf. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to reset our lives, uh, to be become more in line with, with you and your will for us. We ask your blessings upon this cup and this loaf, and that, uh, that we would always be reminded of what those elements mean to us. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. traction control metaphor is pretty nice so I, I have an older car that doesn't have that and it likes to just scare me because you know it'll it'll burn and spin out without you even wanting it to and a couple times and I guess my dad he was with me at one time but yeah you just give it a extra gas before you know it, you're spinning around an intersection looking like an idiot so it's good to have that button I also learned last week too I don't know if y'all remember his little the point on, you now if you point a finger, you got more pointing back at you. I, I learned, that's why my wife always points at me like this. I always thought I was aggressive, but she's, it's your fault. She's just trying to intimidate me or something, but she's got a point to it. So thanks. All right, you can stand.
Jesus, my Lord, King of the heavens, King of my soul, I trade my treasure Lord Jesus, thank you that you have, you've come, you've presented yourself 
you showed us the father heart of God in all of your actions and all of your compassion. You've set your hearts, you've set our hearts on God just like yours is. Thank you that you were doing this bit by bit. May we breathe in that you were doing it just by bit by bit so that we're not discouraged by our lack of progress, but it's all part of the walk. Thank you that you are patient and abiding, celebrating our steps, bringing us further onto yourself and helping us to see you more and more. Thank you for the gospel. May it become, because it only is our unity here in this place, so that we're not just a people gathered, but a people gathered around you with eyes on you, hearts on you at the deepest levels because you've set your heart on us first. Thank you for this. Help us to walk in this. Wanting to know you more, not just every Sunday, but especially every Sunday with our brothers and sisters. And for your wonderful name we pray, looking forward to what's next, savoring what we have. Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. All right, we'll see you soon. Stick around for uh, classes afterwards. We have Digging Deeper in here, a class at the bottom of the stairs downstairs, and at the end of this hallway, if you'd like to take a next step.